Live from our nation's capital, it's the Inside Scoop with Mark Levine. Good afternoon, America. Welcome to the Inside Scoop. I am your host, Mark Levine, reporting live, a safe social distance from Washington, D.C., on a beautiful, sunny December 3rd. Uh, This will be my sixth to the last show. So as 2020 ends, uh, so will my radio show. You're not going to want to miss these last six shows. And just to do the things that, well, I do on radio that very few people do, we're going to dive into the Constitution today. Now, hey, don't don't stop that that uh, don't change your dial, don't change uh, the video. This is going to be an interesting discussion. The question is, do you have a constitutional right to kill other people? Yeah, I don't think it's in here, but the United States Supreme Court apparently disagrees. They ruled on a six, actually a five to four basis because. Um, Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, conservative, joined with the three liberals on this one, that places of worship cannot be forced to undergo all the uh, public health restrictions that the government gives to other places. You have a constitutional right to infect your neighbor and kill them. Now, I respect the First Amendment very much. It is, I think, our most important one. Um, It it is, you know, the freedom of the press, freedom of uh, fr- right of free speech, the right of people peaceably to assemble. And one could argue they're peaceably assembling in their houses of worship. I would argue it's not peaceful when you're uh, infecting someone with a deadly disease that will kill them. It may seem peaceful in the same sense that, oh, I don't know, poisoning someone could seem peaceful. Here, drink the cyanide. I'm very peaceful about it. After you drink it, you you may be less peaceful. Um, Petition the government for redress of grievances and, yes, the establishment of religion. So I want to go through this case today, partly to take our um, eyes off the train wreck that is the current resident of the White House. I will get back to that train wreck, I promise you. Uh, In the last part of this segment, we're going to talk about the grift that keeps on grifting, the fact that the president of the United States has personally pocketed $170 million just by lying to the um, benighted people that actually believe him. So so we're, we're going to get to there. Uh, but first, I want to talk about the Supreme Court case, because I find it really troubling, not just for what it did, but what it for what it portends to do. So um, you had the state of New York, I believe it was New York, um, passed laws relating to COVID. Really, they weren't focused on on religion. They were focused on COVID. And they said that when numbers reached a certain amount, when a certain percentage of the population had the disease, that they would start to shut down public places. And so they found that it, 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 there were levels of alert. There was yellow and orange and red. And at a time of red alert, All businesses were shut down, with the exception of essential ones like grocery stores, um, to 25 people or less. You had to keep social distancing, and you had to protect yourselves. Now, 
this seems pretty clearly designed to protect public health. I don't think anyone believes that New York State has suddenly become hostile to religion. Uh, there are a lot of, of very uh, strongly practiced religions in New York State. Um, the Catholic Church is quite large. Protestant churches are quite large. Jews, Muslims. No one was, you know, um, putting padlock on churches and synagogues and mosques. But the transmission of COVID is actually relatively easy in a church, synagogue, congregate setting. I mean, think about it. You're in a large room with lots of people. It's an enclosed space. It's not outdoors. And what do people do in church? They sing. They don't, you know, wear a mask and sort of shuffle around and get groceries. They sing. In fact, there was one study that showed that in a choral group, one infected person infected more than 100 people just by singing, presumably loudly, next to them. So one could imagine that they could rule and say, well, you can go to church, but you have to wear a mask. You have to fit six feet apart. There has to be plexiglass between the people. Um, or you can hold service, religious services outside uh, and, again, sit six feet apart and wear a mask. There were ways to accommodate religion. But the U.S. Supreme Court said, no, no, we believe that folks practicing religion have greater rights than people who aren't. And that's very troubling. Even more troubling by the fact that New York happens to not be in a red alert right now. I think it's at a yellow alert. In other words, the restrictions were not even being enforced at the moment. But the churches, synagogue that sued, wanted to make sure that they could um, they could get rid of these restrictions before they're ever in place. It's interesting because the Orthodox Jewish community, which fought for this provision, was one of the first communities in America to get it really badly in New Rochelle, New York, because it's a close-knit community where people congregate in large numbers close to one another. See, that's a problem. But the Supreme Court held, look, if other essential businesses like grocery stores are open, well, churches are as essential as groceries, so they should be treated to the same standard. I'm not so sure that's true. I'm a firm believer of the First Amendment, but I think that eating may be a little more essential than praying in a group in a congregate setting. You know, most religions teach that God is everywhere. And while it is nice to congregate together in a congregation, that's why they call it a congregation, uh, to come together to sing, it's a wonderful thing. I'm not knocking it. Um, some things have to give way. Because this is a deadly, very contagious disease. And it strikes me that a religious person who cares about life and all religions came to come to claim to support life, whether we can argue about uh, fetuses or whatever. Certainly, after birth, yet yeah, every religion claims to support life. The idea that religions would fight to be able to let people get so close to one another they could infect one another is really troubling. But again, there's an easy distinction between houses of worship and grocery stores. When I'm in the grocery, you know what? I rarely sing. And when I do, I tend to keep it under my breath. I don't tend to belt out loud the way I do when I'm in synagogue. 
The other thing is I wear a mask in the grocery store and there are shelves, very large shelves, t taller than I am, separating me from the, the patrons next door. And I'm not next to anybody for any particular length of time. I mean, frankly, I keep social distance, but also, you know, someone's in one part of the aisle. I may pass by them, but I'm not likely to breathe in constantly uh, the kind of um, way I would sitting next to someone or even two seats down from someone in a house of worship. In other words, these were very logical, explanatory provisions. They're designed for public health, and not just any public health, but a really deadly disease. You know, COVID is around us so much that I think sometimes it's hard to stand back from it and see just how deadly it is. Sure, only 3% of those of us with it die, but a heck of a lot of us get really sick, and those deaths are quite large. We are now facing September 11th every single day in America. Deaths today were over 2,600. There were some 2,900 in September 11th. And September 11th was a big deal. Do you remember it? It was a big deal. We all talked about it for weeks, months, years later. This terrorist came and attacked and killed almost 3,000 Americans. And it was a terrible tragic, awful thing, and it was. But now it's happening every day. In a week, we have six or seven 9-11s. At 260,000, is it 270,000 yet? It may be, it keeps going up at exponential rate. We've got 90 9-11s, 90. Imagine that planes were hitting our buildings every single day for three months. I think all of this has to do with selfishness, really. And it, it particularly pains me that it's religious organizations that have fought for this, including my own religion, including Jews. Um, I can tell you that the synagogues that I attend all meet virtually and don't insist on us being together, even though we want to be. The Passover Seder is all about being with your family, just as Thanksgiving is. But with vaccines around the corner, it only makes sense that we hold off and wait just a little bit longer. And more scary is the fact that these measures can have all kinds of worse effects in other parts of our life. And I'll get to those after the break. And now, the voice of reason in an unreasonable world. Mark Levine. Welcome back to Inside Scoop. I'm your host, Mark Levine. In analyzing how the Supreme Court looks at religion and the practice of religion and compares it to public health, um, one may argue that the recent restrictions by New York didn't make sense. Uh, one could say, for example, that in a cathedral that sits uh, 2,000 people, um, you can have more people in than a small room that sits 15. That makes sense. And in fact, a lot of the restrictions are done based on capacity. They're done based on the, um, uh, the ability of, of the building to hold people. That makes perfect sense. In fact, I, we even had a Virginia House of Delegates session in a stadium. 
And there were 120, 130 of us in a room, but it was a stadium, a very, very large room. So certainly courts could have said, hey, you're being too restrictive based on public health. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a good regulation. We think you need to base it on capacity or square footage or something like that. And, and that's fine. So I'm not saying that New York necessarily got it right. But to say that if you have a religious practice, you can do things that are otherwise illegal actually takes me back to a decision I criticized way back in the early 1990s. It was the peyote decision. You have to be around a long time to remember it. I was in law school at the time. Um, this was the decision where a state had said that Native Americans could not do use their practice of smoking peyote. Now, peyote is a hallucinogenic drug. It doesn't appear to be particularly addictive or um, life-threatening. I've never done peyote, so I, I, I admit I'm not an expert on, the, on it. I can't tell you how it differs from marijuana or, or any other drug. But um, Native Americans have been using peyote in a religious ceremony for millennia, for thousands of years, for many, many centuries before white people came uninvited, illegal immigrants, by the way, uh, and uh, came to these shores and, and took it over. So it was an ancient religious practice. But there were laws on the books in Oregon that banned use of hallucinogenic drugs. So Oregon said, sorry, Native Americans who've practiced this ceremony for millennia, you can't do it or we're sending you to jail. Case went all the way up to the United States Supreme Court. And the court held with Justice Scalia writing the opinion, what a you know conservative Catholic Justice Scalia, sorry, Native Americans, it's a neutral principle. And the neutral principle is no drugs. And when the neutral, neutral principle applies, you can't smoke. Now, I attacked that decision at the time. I thought it was a wrong decision. And the reason I thought it was wrong is because I think that this clause in the Constitution regarding the free exercise of religion means that you should have the right to exercise your religion quite freely so long as you don't impose on other people. I've always felt, and Joe Biden, if you want to nominate me to the U.S. Supreme Court, I'm telling you right now, I will put this into place in my First Amendment jurisprudence. Um, I've always felt there's an easy way, an easy way to combine what most scholars think is the most difficult part of the First Amendment, and that is the religion clause, because it says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And a whole bunch of legal scholars have said, no, wait, how is that possible? You can't establish a religion, but you can't prohibit free exercise. Well, that's just impossible to sort out. And there was this whole bunch of tests in the 50s and 60s called the Lemon Test and all these complications about funding religion. I always thought this was a simple answer. I call it the sword shield test. Really, it makes perfect sense to me. You can't establish religion, but you can't prohibit free exercise. That means that everyone is free to exercise their religion as much as they want, so long as it does not harm anybody else. 
you can use your religion as a shield. You want to keep kosher. You want to eat certain foods. You want to wear a cross. You want to wear a hijab. You want to wear a turban. That's religious practice. You want to celebrate your holidays so long as you're not taking away air that other people breathe, right? Celebrate your holidays. You want to discriminate. You can, you know, that's actually a tougher issue because it involves other people. Let's, let's leave that one aside. But generally, whatever you want to do, you have a right to do so long as it doesn't harm anyone else. Religion is a shield. To me, the peyote didn't harm anybody else. It didn't kill anybody. I, I don't think there was any evidence that it was addictive. Um, yeah, people got high and saw visions. And that was their choice. And that was their religious practice. It's an ancient religious practice. I thought they should get an exception for that. But you should never be able to use religion as a sword. You should never be able to use religion to harm someone else. If you use your religion to force someone else to practice your religion, well, that's not religious freedom at all. That's an establishment of religion, right? If the state bans non-kosher food, that's not fair to people who aren't Jews. If the state bans gay couples from getting married, that's not fair to the gay couples who don't practice the religion uh, that says that gay couples can't get married. You know, if you force everybody to wear a cross, that's not fair. If you force everybody to wear a hijab, that's the uh, Muslim veil covering for women, that's not fair either. It's actually a very simple test. I've always felt it's one that the Supreme Court should adopt. Under my test, it's clear. Yeah, do the Native Americans continue to smoke their hallucinogenic drug? Yeah. But if there's a religion that, let's say, wants to throw virgins into pits to appease the angry gods, into a volcano, say, right? You know, I don't know if it's true, but work with me here. Let's say it's true that there's some ancient religion that would throw a virgin into a volcano to appease the angry gods to get the volcano to go down. Yeah, no, that's not legal. Not because it's a neutral principle that murder is wrong, uh, but because the virgin probably didn't appreciate it very much. <laughs> right? It probably violated her religion to be murdered like that. Um, so it's actually a very clear, bright line standard. What's interesting is after that case, the peyote case, Congress passed a law called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act specifically designed to protect people in their religious practice, to say government stay out of our religious practice. And I supported that law because it overruled Scalia's peyote decision. In fact, some of you know I personally confronted Justice Antonin Scalia when he was alive about this peyote case. And I asked him some questions about his church, the Catholic Church, because I felt that he might have a little bit more deference toward the Catholic Church than he did to ancient Native American religions. I was right. I said to him that, uh, Justice Scalia, your principle is that any neutral principle applies. And as long as the law is not designed to attack religion, it applies. So I asked him, what about laws banning discrimination, specifically banning gender discrimination? Don't you think a neutral law could require women to be priests of the Catholic Church? I'll get to his answer to me after the break. Hey, if you want to call in, 888-48-MARK, 888-488-6275. We'll be right back right after this.
He's a Bible-quoting, Constitution-loving, flag-waving, red-blooded, liberal American. He's Mark Levine. Welcome back to the Inside Scoop. I'm your host, Mark Levine. The recent Supreme Court decision in New York versus a Roman Catholic Diocese um, is troubling. And it's troubling way beyond its limited holding of saying that a government cannot restrict for public health the public worship in a church or synagogue. Um, that in and of itself is troubling. Don't get me wrong. Again, maybe the restrictions could have been tailored differently. That's not the argument here. But the general case that, you know what, if my religion says that I can go out and infect other people and kill them, you're just going to have to leave me alone, is really troubling. You should never have a blanket right to kill other people, even if it's not murder, even if the people there are taking the risk right? That's just not one of those rights that we allow people to do. You know, we have food laws that prevent restaurants from serving toxic substances, even to people who want the toxic substance. We have health measures. And for all those that are saying that they were, it was a vicious attack on religion, this is a temporary thing. The vaccine is coming, folks. That's good news around the corner. And I do think that, that, you know, we will soon have services again. But my real concern, I have to admit, is broader than just this Supreme Court opinion. My real concern is that um, this could be expanded. And what's fascinating about it is that I can't think of a more right-wing justice than Antonin Scalia. And he's the guy that said... If it's a neutral law, like a public health law that applies equally to everyone, you can burden religion all you want. Now, Justice Scalia was happy to burden ancient Native American religion. And I thought he might be hypocritical about this. So I asked him in person when I was in law school, when he came to visit us at Yale Law School, I asked him, well, let's say there was a law of neutral applicability that said that um, religions couldn't discriminate on the basis of gender. And he responded as, you know, he might. Well, Title VII, uh, the, the great civil rights law of the United States, specifically says that religious uh, groups are exempted from the gender uh, restrictions on gender discrimination. I said, sure, they are, it is. But what if it wasn't? What if the law simply said that no one can discriminate on the basis of gender. That would be a neutral law. Would you agree with me that then the Catholic Church, in order to stay open in America, would have to have women priests? He smiled and said, I'll get back to you on that. He never did. He never did. We didn't have email in those days. I did give him my name and address. He never sent me that letter. Because he was in an impossible situation. See, Scalia has often been claimed by conservatives to be this person of principle. Yeah, his principle was, favor my religion, and I don't give a damn about your religion. That was his principle. But you can't do that because the, the First Amendment says you can't establish a religion. So he couldn't say that principle out loud. But I knew he wouldn't apply his own principles to his own church. Now, ironically... This right-wing conservative 
principle is being stood on its head because now the conservatives are all for excess power of religious people to risk others' lives and health. Not just health, it's lives. Again, we are facing probably 300,000, more likely 350 or 400,000 deaths before this vaccine will finally get to all of us. In, if you add up world events in US history, the Civil War has the most deaths, um, the pandemic of 1919 is second, World War II is third, but this may end up being third. Indeed, the pandemic of 1919 showed how dangerous it was for people to congregate in massive numbers, one next to each other. You think we would have learned by now. But I'm more nervous about the extension of this principle. This came up in the Hobby Lobby case. You may remember that case. Hobby Lobby is a craft store. And you know what? You should never go into it. Boycott it. Because Hobby Lobby expressly discriminates against gay people. They they don't want to serve gay people because they say it's our religious right. It's our religious right. Well, the whole purpose of Title VII was to say that you have to serve everybody when you go out in the public sphere. You know, if you have dinner at your house and you don't allow black people to eat at your house, you have a right to do that, right? You only invite the people you want in your house. But when you put up a sign that says, food here, steaks, 1095, you gotta serve everybody. That's what Title VII said. You didn't before then, but you do after this law. We all know that there were restaurants and hotels uh, and movie theaters that for 100 years during the Jim Crow era, uh, particularly throughout the South, but in other places in the U.S. as well, didn't serve black people as a matter of their policy. And it was legal until Title VII. Well, Title VII says that when you open up your business, you got to serve everybody. Sorry, cake guy. Oh, I only want to do cakes for straight people. No, you opened your business up to the public. You have to serve the public. Now, if you're part of the church bakery and you only serve people in who are members of your church, you can do that. You can discriminate on the basis of religion or race or whatever you want. Gender. I only do cakes for men, not women. But the real troubling part of this case is not about COVID. It's how it could extend the Hobby Lobby case, how it could end civil rights protections. Because if you can discriminate on the basis of religion against gay people, why can't you discriminate on the basis of religion on the basis of race? The Mormon religion didn't accept that blacks were equal to right to whites until, what, 10, 20 years ago? Pretty recently. I know it was after the 1970s. So if you have a religious belief, you know, there's, um, there's some right-wing white supremacist groups that call themselves Christian. I forget all their names. I don't really care to publicize them anyway. But they claim that they religiously believe that black people are inferior or second-class citizens, that God separated the races. This was actually an old slavery thing. Ham, Sham, and Japheth, and put one in Africa and one in Europe and one in Asia— and design the races never to meet. And obviously, this is dangerous, ignorant, prejudiced, 
crap. <laughs> Sorry. But, but if it's a sincerely held religious belief, it's a religion. So now we, according to Hobby Lobby, I religiously believe that I shouldn't have to serve blacks or shouldn't have to serve women or shouldn't have to serve people who um, voted for Joe Biden. Nah, that's, not, that's not a civil rights protection. Disabled people, whatever it is, um, it's really dangerous. So I'm, we're gonna have to watch this case and we have to see where it goes. Now, moving on to my last topic, which I'm gonna do a, a little bit more after the break. I need to talk about the grifter that keeps on grifting. So you know what a grift is, right? It's a petty con. It's um, a way to, uh, maybe the classic grifter is the guy that, that does the, uh, the shell game, right? You know that game? You look, the ball's under one of the shells and he mixes it up, but he's really good with sleight of hand and uh, you never guess the ball right or, or the three card Monty and the con man gets his $20 from you or whatever you bet on it. That's the petty grift, the petty con. Well, Donald Trump has taken the petty grift and made a fortune of it his entire life. Everything from Trump steaks to Trump vodka. The guy doesn't even drink and he's selling Trump vodka to, of course, most infamously, Trump University, where you can pay $35,000 a year to watch a few YouTube videos. Now, that may cut close to home for some of you folks in college forced to watch videos because of COVID, so I apologize for that. But this was before COVID, uh, and the YouTube videos were not established professors. They're just a bunch of people doing a YouTube video. $35,000, and then you get this piece of paper that says, graduate of Trump University. This so-called institution was not certified or codified, and, you know, that's grifting. That's selling somebody something that has no value to them, that they think has value to them, and pocketing from it. Well, our president grifter has grifted his, his supporters to already more than $170 million just by claiming that our democracy is a fraud, that we don't have free elections, and that the good Republican leaders of Georgia and Arizona are as much lying thieves as the Democratic governors of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. We'll talk a little more about the grift that keeps on grifting right after this break. He's a Harvard economist and a Yale lawyer. He does not keep up with the Kardashians. He's Mark Levine. Back to the aggressive progressive, Mark Levine. Welcome back to the Inside Scoop. I'm your host, Mark Levine. So the president just gave probably his best rant ever. In a full-on temper tantrum, the current president of the United States spoke for 46 minutes on Facebook. I don't think it was even covered by Fox News. Um, and gave a bunch of lies so ridiculous that, well, it actually got relatively little media attention. He's full on bonkers now. And um, he's arguing that there's this massive fraud and no, uh, he claims all kinds of things, but has no real evidence of it. If he did, don't you think his lawyers would have, I don't know, suggested it in court? <laughs> the real question is, why is he doing this? When you hear him speak, he actually admits, barely from time to time, that he knows 
that his administration is not going to continue. Soon after the election, in fact, he uh, was arguing about um, the restrictions on COVID, on, on people gathering, that he was afraid Biden might impart and said, you know, uh, what the, 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 the next administration and then he caught himself and said, well, whether it's this one or the Biden one, people don't usually talk about the next administration when it's their own. So he knows he's got to go. He's told people in public he knows he has to go. So what is this about? Well, partly it's about the temper tantrum of this particular president, right, who can never admit he's wrong, who can never admit he's a loser, right? I mean, people who lose elections lose elections. It happens to all of us. He lost. He actually lost in 2016, in, if you count all the votes, instead of going by our silly electoral college system. But he lost. He knows he's lost. And yet he's claiming wild, wild theories of fraud and ballot counting that everyone knows are false. Why? There's actually a simple answer. Money money. Trump is pocketing hundreds of millions of dollars off his grift, off his lies. So we know from Donald Trump's tax returns that were finally disclosed by the New York Times that Donald Trump owes more than $400 million. That's not good to have that kind of a debt. We don't know who he owes it to. Is it to Vladimir Putin, Russian oligarchs, China? It's not clear. We're trying to get the, those detailed tax returns, and probably when he's out of office, we finally will see who he owes the money to. But it could be the mob, and the mafia is knocking on his door, and he needs to pay them up quickly. It's coming due next year. Well, Donald Trump doesn't have that kind of money. He might have to sell the Trump Tower, which for all we know is uh, hawked all the way up, up to its value anyway. So he's going to make money from his supporters. Donald Trump never liked his supporters very much. Remember, this is the guy that knowing he was infected with COVID, went out into massive crowds and literally personally threw out MAGA hats, Make America Great Again red hats, in his hands. When he knew he had COVID. And most likely the people that caught those hats caught the disease as well and infected themselves and their families. We know several hundred people have died due to Donald Trump personally. Now, hundreds of thousands have died due to his policies, but hundreds have died due to him personally infecting them, including former Republican candidate for president Herman Cain, went to one of Trump's rallies, caught COVID and died. So he clearly doesn't care about his supporters very much if he's fine if they die. He certainly doesn't care much about their money. And we all need to remember why this guy is in office in the first place. Donald Trump didn't run for office because of some policy, because of something that he disagreed with. Trump actually gave to Democrats and Republicans. He wasn't even a Republican. He was just a Trumpist. He only cared about himself. He ran for office as a scam, as a grift. To make money, that's what all the people who've talked to have said. That's what Melania has said to several reporters. It was all a scam. Actually, it's the same reason Herman Cain ran, right? It's all about getting your name for yourself and making some money off the deal. That's what Donald Trump has always done, used his name to make a little money off the deal. 
In fact, he was very much like the dog that chases the car, barks a lot, and then caught the car. What does the dog do when the car stops? Usually just sit there, stunned, and bark a lot more, right? Why do you think Melania was so angry with him the night of his election victory in 2016? They all expected to lose. Melania expected to lose. His advisors expected to lose. Donald Trump expected to lose. But he would parlay that loss into some TV deal like he did on The Apprentice, maybe get a Fox show, make a bunch of money grifting. That's the story of Donald Trump. That's why in the 2016 election, before he won, he said the election was rigged. It was rigged, and if he lost, it was all a rigged election, he said in 2016. Because his plan was to do exactly what he's doing now in 2016 when he lost. But poor Donald Trump, America happens to have free and fair democratic elections. Now, don't get me wrong. There is some rigging going on, but it's all legal. It's legal voter suppression. It's removing blacks from the voter rolls, the way Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, did. It is making sure there aren't enough voting um, uh, booths or apparatus or polling equipment in poor black neighborhoods to keep down Democrats from voting. It's poll taxes and uh, you know keeping ex-felons from voting. All legal, all disgusting, but all perfectly legal. But actual voter fraud, where a voter claims to be someone else, that's really, really rare. In fact, the only case in all 2020 they found of voter fraud is a Republican man who wrote down, um, I believe it was in Pennsylvania, uh, his name and took um, his, his dead mother's, was it? I think it was his dead mother's ballot and turned it in. And he's promptly being, he was arrested. The ballot was caught. It was never cast. It wasn't counted because they caught him, and now he's facing several years in prison. So the only known case of voter fraud in all of 2016 was one guy, a Republican, and he was caught. Voter fraud simply isn't that common. As I said, there is systemic voter suppression, but not voter fraud. It simply doesn't occur. And in fact, uh, Chris Krebs, the um, guy hired, the Republican hired to do Trump's cybersecurity, I shouldn't say Trump, to do the America's cybersecurity and did an excellent job and said that we had the most secure election in American history in 2020, was of course fired by Donald Trump for saying that. Now his attorney general, Bill Barr, who I do not trust at all, who's been bending the law to help Donald Trump his entire presidency and who in violation of Department of Justice standards sent a whole bunch of investigators to find voter fraud couldn't find any and said so, is now in trouble with Donald Trump because, you know, telling the truth in the Donald Trump White House is a firing offense. But what's really extraordinary and is a little bit laughable, but actually is quite telling, is the civil war going on between Republicans in Georgia right now, right? Donald Trump lost Georgia. So he's been railing that there's all this fraud in Georgia, that the election machines in Georgia somehow flipped the votes. I've been opposed to election machines that don't have paper ballots precisely because I feared this. But Georgia's machines had paper ballots. They printed out the paper ballot. The voter could check the ballot before they put it in. They checked every one of those ballots by hand 
no fraud. And who did the checking? Well, people hired by the Republican Georgia Secretary of State, a Trump supporter. And he certified the count, as did Governor Kemp, a Trump supporter who loves Donald Trump, a guy who, frankly, disenfranchised 1.4 million Georgians, hundreds of thousands of black Georgians, and largely when Stacey Abrams caught him, was forced to re-register a lot of those people. But here's what's so fascinating. Trump is going on and on about, you can't trust the Georgia voting system. It's fraudulent. And so there are a bunch of Republicans in Georgia that are saying, huh, if we can't trust the voting system, why the heck should we vote in the runoffs? The two essential Georgia runoffs for the United States Senate that are occurring in the beginning of January. So now the Republicans are tied in knots. They're like, no, if people believe Donald Trump, they won't vote. And the Democrats will take over the Senate in Georgia in January. That would actually be some rough justice there. That'd be pretty cool. But here's the thing I want you to contemplate. While Republicans are tied in knots and saying, wait, don't trust Donald Trump when he says that our elections are a fraud with regard to Georgia because we need you to vote in Georgia for the Republicans in Georgia. They're not saying the same thing with regard to Pennsylvania and Arizona and Michigan and Wisconsin and Nevada. Why not? Is the only time Republicans care about election integrity is when they themselves are on the ballot? Think about it, because if they had principles, they'd support democracy all the time. This is Mark Levine signing off. See you next week.